the mark of the beast, the Antichrist, the lake of fire, the second death. These are images that flooded my adolescent mind alongside real-life stories of pastors in Soviet prisons and mental institutions. This was all alongside the ever-present possibility of a nuclear holocaust. Fast forward to today, we have Russian hackers, disinformation campaigns, fake news, conspiracy theories, and to top it all, a global pandemic. Surely, the stage is set. I'm Paul White, and this is Apocalypse, the Book of Revelation. Join me and my special guest and friend Pete Milner as we explore what God might be saying through this incredible book to us today. So hi there saunterers, we are sauntering in the incredible book of Revelation, the Apocalypse, and today we are on chapter 5. And once again, I'm honoured to have my friend Pete here, and we're going to just dig in just after we've prayed. So Holy Spirit, again, we invite you, illuminate our minds as we look at this wonderful chapter of this incredible book that you wrote through your servant, John. Amen. Amen. Wow. So here we go. Chapter mm. five. Then I saw... In the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open up the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And I don't know about you, Pete, but we just were talking in the previous chapter yesterday about... Um, the in invitation of human beings to not only observe the drama and the mystery and wonder of heaven, but actually to participate in it. Mm. And it seems that right now, John, the beloved apostle, his his little heart can't bear it that there would be this unresolved tension in heaven with yes. no one able to open the scrolls as he's literally weeping loudly. Mm. It's like, what can be done? You know, because he's so caught up in this drama that he's been invited into. Yes, and, and what a picture to carry straight on from the unveiling of the throne. Let me ask you this, Paul. Who is seated on the throne? Well... <laughs> it is God. It is God. And it yes. is God the Father yeah. who is seated upon the throne. And what's happened is you've got this scene, which is the same scene that Daniel saw, that Isaiah saw, that Ezekiel saw, which is this, God himself sat on the throne, regal, supreme, everlasting, etc. Worthy of us all throwing our crowns on the floor yeah. repeatedly. 
and something is about to change. Now, I, the Lord, do not change, and he doesn't change like shifting shadows. We know that yep. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So, but some things, some other things change. And what's changing is God's got a scroll. Mm-hmm. He's got a thing written, which he wants to unfold. And he's asking his great counsel, who's going to open it? Who wants in? And nobody is worthy to open the scroll. But then, like, I don't know if you know Lord of the Rings at all, but there's this great moment where the the Knights of Rohan are sort of holed up in their fortress and they're realising the scale of the invasion they're about to face. And they're like, what on earth are we going to do? And Aragorn just pushes the doors open and he comes in sort of bedraggled and he's like (laughs) just been fished out of a river and he's got wounds and he's just like, here I am, boys, we're going to do this. And I think this is the lamb presenting himself, torn open, looking as though he's been slain. This is John's picture. I'm sorry, I'm skipping ahead. You're just jumping ahead, but that's okay. But the point is, they need someone to do it, and nobody's worthy to do it. Absolutely. And so John is standing at the point, Jesus has ascended to heaven, but he doesn't yet know what that means. And what we're about to see is what the meaning is of the ascension to heaven, the supreme parade the, the glorious triumph of Jesus mm. in heaven, what's going to happen next. And they're identifying the lamb, the lion of Judah, the root of David. He has conquered and in he comes wow. to unveil this mystery upon the world. So we've already just been talking about the this sort of celestial beauty of mm. these divine seraphim and, or not divine, but these holy seraphim who worship God 24-7 and the elders, but still... Not worthy. No one worthy. No. Brilliant. So then here's your moment, Pete. All right. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. And he went out to and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll... The four living creatures, the 24 elders, fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood. You ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. They sure shall. Woo! <laughs> isn't, isn't that magnificent? This is the Don't triumph of Jesus. I mean, think about it in earthly terms. We met a carpenter from Nazareth in Galilee who started preaching and explaining about stuff that people kind of understood and kind of sounded familiar, but which was also new and had an authority yeah. that was just different. He did miracles and he died on a cross and then his body was gone. And the average person living in Judea at the time just thought, whoo, that was weird. That's the end of it. What John is seeing is the end of Jesus's mission, the true nature of his triumph. Mm. He's ascended to heaven and presenting himself before everybody and all they can think to do is bow down to him and worship him as he is A, worthy to open the scroll, but B, his own conquest of sin and death to ransom people for God, to save the world and, and deliver the kingdom. 
This is the, the majestic kind of heavenly reality of what Jesus actually came to do, where if you look at it on earth, in an earthly reality, you think, well, what did he manage to do? He, he, he appears to have resurrected and he started off a teeny weeny little church of 120 odd mm-hmm. people sat in a room. And by the time he goes to heaven, that's all that's left of his earthly achievements. Incredible. But here John is seeing the heavenly achievement and the yeah. true, majestic, far-reaching kind of implications of it in these gr- in these graphic images. It's incredible. And I love the the contrast we've got because the one of the elders says, Weep no more, mm. behold, it's like, don't cry anymore, John. Look. Yeah. There's something you're gonna miss if you're crying too much. The yeah. lion of the tribe of Judah, yeah. the root of David. So this is the kind of culmination of all of God's promises to Judah mm-hmm. that he's a crouching lion or a lion's whelp or yes. something and the root of David this this promise that there's always going to be a son of David on the throne For God's people, in Jerusalem yeah. forever he's conquered yes so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals so he's talking about this lion and this sort of heir of David and then suddenly he looks and he sees a lamb. Like a dead lamb. <laughs> yeah, he's standing. Mortally wounded. Yes. With seven horns and seven eyes, which kind of, again, bewilder me. The, well, they play into that same stream. And, yeah. and I think we have to look at the, the, the sort of pattern that's come through in every chapter for that. But yeah, it, it's he, he's the astonishing sort of unveiling of, of this person in heaven. It's the big reveal, and yet it it's almost anticlimactic mm. because you're expecting a majestic beast. The rider on the white little... horse or something. Yeah, and, and I believe the language says it's like a tiny lamb, a small lamb. Yeah. Well, it would be a yearling or something, and, wouldn't it? It'd be a little tiny... <laughs> yeah. And so it almost wants to evoke pity and sympathy, and yet you realise, man, and the way... This lamb is received mm-hmm. by the exalted company of these living creatures and the elders and yes. so on. Um, and what John is doing is he's digging in to possibly the most important apocalyptic text in the Old Testament for those who were looking for a Messiah, which is Daniel chapter right. 7. Yeah. And in Daniel chapter 7, the Ancient of Days takes his seat in the assembly and one like a son of man... Yes comes and presents himself and the ancient of days decides what he's going to do is give this son of man a kingdom an everlasting kingdom Mm. which will expand and fill the whole earth and daniel ends in all sorts of apocalyptic imagery which a lot of people have a lot of trouble with i do too it's confusing they tumble over each other a bit don't they yes like waves coming ashore (laughs) (laughs) but the point is that what john is saying is that son of man who came to the world to establish the kingdom, mm. this lamb is that man. Isn't that incredible? And what was prophesied centuries before has now taken place. And the winner, the champion, the victor, the only one worthy is Jesus himself. It's so glorious. And, and I love the response. To me, one of the most uh, indelible truths of the bible is that jesus is most definitely god Mm -hmm. and so here we have this unequivocal the focus that's all been directed to the throne as you've said with the father on it now those very same creatures and elders their focus is on jesus and they're saying worthy are you Mm. 
And, and then they fall on their faces. They fall in front on their faces in worship, and yeah. you kind of think, "Man, this is this is incredible." But yeah. also, just one little <laughs> treasure for me there is yeah. um, the golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Um, verse eight, and and you've got this sense that there is a currency that transfers an earthly currency that transfers from us that has value in heaven mm. and that is our prayers and our worship and our adoration yes. and somehow that is considered to be so precious that even in the presence of god who needs nothing who created the universe without any reference to us mm. and it was made by him and for him yet somehow this is something he treasures and he holds dear in heaven and he has like bowls of it collected yeah. up and another interesting thought on incense is, I mean, David obviously says, may the lifting of my hands be to you like incense, mm. doesn't he? But incense it releases its smell when it comes into contact with fire, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And it, it's sort of triggered by it almost, mm. isn't it? And that a lot of people, you know, we, we in pastoral ministry, people ask us to pray with them a lot, mm-hmm. don't they? Yeah. And I'm sure you sat with angry disappointed people before yeah who said something like why doesn't god yeah what yeah. is he waiting for mm-hmm. why isn't this happened why has this happened yeah and i often find there's a sort of very early kind of um, kind of test that we'll see what the condition of somebody's heart is and that's to ask them about how they're praying about it mm. and whether they're praying about mm-hmm. it and whether they'd like to pray about it with you mm. you know I've, I've been i've heard the most sort of tragic um, personal stuff from people and you know in the in their place of their most vulnerability it's like let's pray together and they haven't prayed right whereas others it's like I have I've I've so hum I've been so humbled by trying to pray and not seeing an answer and mm. the the two in their character are often so so different aren't they yeah when we will carry everything to God in prayer then the promise is that it does actually do stuff that God has allowed, even in his great sovereignty, which is unapproachable and unquestionable. He has allowed us and our prayers currency in heaven to mm-hmm. affect what things will happen. It's incredible. But if we will just bring a complaint, like Habakkuk, if it's like, Lord, what are you doing up there? You better get on this COVID thing. You know, if we're just complaining and criticizing him, that I don't think has much currency no. in heaven. Whereas our prayers and our devotion do and it's interesting i wonder whether i've always kind of had this in mind that god has like a kind of de-scrambler which he kind of processes our prayers through because we we will inevitably pray with a flawed human perspective which Mm. isn't complete where we don't understand things from there you know fully and sometimes there's a lot of pain mixed in with it, like you say. Mm. But yet, nonetheless, that somehow, even inadequate and flawed as those prayers may be, yeah. and from a human kind yeah, of... They're distracted, aren't they? We're yeah. mortal, we're weak, we're oh, puny, basically. And yet, somehow, he still thinks that's worth keeping. It's treasure. And treasuring it in a bowl. It's And getting yeah. one of his elders to hold it. Mm. You know, I mean, gosh... That's incredible. (laughs) (laughs) So they've got, they've each got a harp, which is obviously music, which we love, isn't it? And Mm -hmm. 
golden bowls full of incense, which are our prayers, and they sing. And we love to sing, don't we? I I think that's one of the most comforting things for those of us who are in a slightly kind of unorthodox kind of church environment. It's like, what do we spend all our time doing? And is it something Christians do? Well, gosh, Christians have always been singers. Yeah. You know, we've always used singing to both sing about God and Mm -hmm. sing to God and to throw our adoration on him and sing. And it's the same with preaching and the making of disciples and baptizing believers and going out and doing the work of the kingdom of heaven and making new disciples. And all of that stuff gives me a great enthusiasm because sometimes it becomes so ritualized and scripted that I fear that the heart is lost out of it. But Almost over if we can keep that organic process alive yeah. and, and, you know, active within us as a community, yeah. I feel like that will have been really, really, really great. Fabulous. And so then just a real quick little zoom into that statement from he's ransomed he was slain by his blood he's ransomed people for god Mm -hmm. from every tribe and language and people and nation this is understanding that what began as a demonstration of the faithfulness of god with a particular people group the jews who Mm -hmm. were very small and then they grew and they understood his ways and their purpose was then to be a light to the gentiles yeah but they kind of got a little bit confused about that at times handbrake went on halfway down the motorway (laughs) wait a minute who said gentiles (laughs) yeah and uh but here he's saying no this is what it's all about Mm -hmm. every tribe every language every people every nation and you have made them a kingdom and priest to our god Mm. and they shall reign on the earth and there is a very very interesting statement right there isn't it it is huge they shall reign on the earth my my kind of personal feeling do you know what the apostles creed is yeah i believe in god the father almighty creator of heaven and earth etc um things like the apostles creed and that one in particular very early kind of it's all based on church agreement and you know this is what we can really bet our life on isn't it this is the core teachings of the church it has a, a weakness for me and and the weakness is how it speaks of jesus on the earth and it says you know, Jesus, who was born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then he was resurrected and, and we've got the kingdom and we've got the everlasting life and all the rest of it. Mm. But it makes it sound like between Christmas and Easter, basically nothing useful happened wow. worth remembering. Yeah. But I feel like I'd love to insert a line there saying he established the kingdom of God upon Come on. the earth. Because Absolutely. the whole reason why the David imagery is being invoked here, the whole reason is the root and branch of Jesse and David and stuff, is, is to answer, as you said, that challenge of Jesus. God said there would always be someone to reign over his people, Israel, mm. a son of David to reign. He'd never lack a descendant to sit upon the throne of God's people. And people are like, well, if that's the case, then where is he? Herod's surely not it. Pontius Pilate's mm. surely not it. Yeah. You know, we've been centuries without a king. What about this promise? And what God has done is unveiled the lamb who is the root and the branch of David. He is the fulfillment of all the expectations mm. of the kingdom of God's people being established on the throne where God's rule is the same on earth as it is in heaven. That's why he taught us to pray that, isn't it? Yes. You know, let your kingdom yep. come as earth, on earth as it is in heaven. And What's being said here is that that has now taken place, that has happened, and the rule and dominion and kingdom of God is now established, it's inaugurated, it's here. You know, there's still more to come, thankfully, but it's here, and he has done it, he has established it. 
And so we wait in vain if we think we're waiting for God's kingdom to come. Yeah. It is here. Yeah. And our place in it as, is as kings and priests. We are here to participate. We're primary actors in it, yes. aren't we? We're... To shape yeah. the course of history to come. Amazing. We're not here to just hide in a hole until you know he comes on the clouds in glory. We're here to change the world and make Fabulous. it like it is in heaven. Come on. Come on. I'm excited. Verse 11. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honour and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honour and glory and might forever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders <laughs> fell down and worshipped. And they couldn't think of anything better to do than to throw their crowns <laughs> oh, on the floor again. again. Woo! Yep. Yeah. <clears throat> and you see that how heaven now has changed. Mm-hmm. God himself has not changed, but the lamb has been revealed as the conqueror and he's been revealed as God, worthy of worship as God is mm. in full. By all of heaven. Yes. You know, if you look for Jesus in the Old Testament, you will only see just hints, just yeah. little Shadow. tantalizing <laughs> yeah. shadows of, of, of an indication that there is one in heaven who's going to blow apart everything we think we know about the one yeah. God. And we're not talking about two gods. We're not talking about three gods or seven gods or nine gods or anything yeah. else. We're talking about the Father and the Son and the Spirit as God. Yeah. You know, revealing his true nature. And it's true, I think, to say that without the incarnation and the establishment of the kingdom of heaven and the triumph over the power of death and the resurrection and the, you know, the crucifixion where he takes on the sin of the earth, without those things, the the son can never quite be fully recognized as such in heaven or on earth. And it's only through the, the kind of unveiling of his work and personality on the world that we've suddenly had our whole theology kind of reconfigured that's right that he appears as a distinct yes person of the godhead that's right Paul says the demonstration of his righteousness that it's it's like a he's proving what he's like and it takes us right back to that prologue the revelation of jesus christ isn't it you know the unveiling of jesus christ that's what it is i mean what we're looking at here is not some future event is it What we're looking at here is the heavenly perspective on the accomplishments of Jesus on the earth. Which is an eternal event which took place at a moment in time. That's right. And I wish I'd been there. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not even sorry for wishing I was there. But, I mean, when we see the magnitude, just Mm. the sheer size of this spectacle... Mm Um, which is he he runs out of numbers doesn't he yeah. so he doesn't have giga whatever's and giga stuff mega pixels and stuff no. he just says literally the voice i i could see this thing going on with the living creatures and the elders and suddenly there's this voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads <laughs> whatever a myriad I is think it's a, a myriad lot. is 10,000 oh, is so it? that would be 10,000 times 10,000 there you go and thousands of thousands yeah it's he's using hyperbole yeah he? but he's describing something which is so unimaginably vast and they're saying it, with a loud voice they sure are <clears throat> one voice and yet 
millions of voices yes. all saying the same thing. There, and there is a <clears throat> real need to answer the question of here on earth, how big is our suffering? It is big. It feels mm-hmm. big. You know, we, we suffer greatly in mortality. We suffer yeah. greatly as, as fallen people trying to worship a perfect God and, and do what he wants. But the scale and size and perfection of the celebration of heaven is amazing. It helps us, doesn't it? It helps mm. us to make real those hopes and dreams yeah. and, and faithful things that we're holding on to. That actually, when we get there, our earthly suffering will finally kind of sit in its real context, which is as a small, temporary, yeah. real, but like past thing mm. that we have suffered. And now we shall go on to glory after glory after glory with these hundreds of trillions of billions of yeah. angels all celebrating God's achievements, not just in general, but specifically in us. Yeah. Wow. They'll give praise. This whole assembly will give praise to God for what he has done in your life and my life. And we'll get that amazing celebration. Yeah. And then we have that, just that, that sort of note where every, like every creature has tuned their voice to orchestral A, if you like, (laughs) the tune and fork of heaven. And they're all singing this same song yeah. to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And so they're bringing equal measure of glory mm. to the father and the son, yes. which you cannot get away from. This is Jesus being worshipped and adored yeah. by not just the heavenly host, but all creation, every living mm-hmm. thing. The finally unveiled is yeah. who he is. And I was praying this morning, I was saying, God, you know, it's so amazing that you are going to, you know, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. But, oh, God, that you would do it, that multitudes would make that choice now before it's uh, It's too late. Yeah, before it's not a choice anymore. They just have to. Because that is that urgency we were talking about in previous sessions, wasn't it? That urgency is... Every knee will bow and tongue confess that mm-hmm. Jesus is Lord for the glory of God the Father. But not every one of those knees and tongues will find their way to the everlasting life. Mm. That's the disaster of it all. Because yes, everyone that confesses that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead will be saved. But there, there is a line. You know, there is a line where at the end of our lives, there'll be no more time to choose. Yeah. And what we read about later on is the consequence, the horrendous, unimaginable you know, second death, the consequence Gosh, of yeah. not making this attempt to recognise yeah. him here on our life on earth. Yeah. And it is so difficult. Pastorally speaking, it's been difficult for me to try and sort of explain how Christians could be a minority of all the people of, on earth and yet be the ones that win. You know, nobody likes that narrative yeah, today. Everybody wants to see that most people will get in and maybe only the Hitlers and the yeah. Charles Mansons, you know, they'll they'll get their come we up. We want a place of punishment for them, don't we? Yes, but I'm not like them. You know, I'm basically a really good guy. And, you know, I, I must be allowed in, mustn't I? Because I haven't done anything that bad. Yeah. And you and I both know that there's almost no, no satisfying answer to that no. riddle, is there? Except take the offer mm. now. Please. And if you're listening to this and you've never received Jesus, this is the Jesus that one day you and me and Pete and every single human being will will, will face. And so my plea is 
receive him today while you have the chance. While, while the door is open, the invitation is for you that he's paid for your sin. He's made a way for you to be reconciled to God so that there's no amount of hard work you've got to do to make yourself good enough. Mm. He's done all of that. Yeah. Our response is one of, yes, please, Jesus, let it count for me and start to overhaul my life and replace everything in it that's offensive to you mm-hmm. with your spirit. And wow, yeah, that's the offer. And that's the simple response. So God bless you today, everyone, yeah. wherever you are. Have an amazing day. Mm. And thanks once again, Pete. Yeah, amen.